Hi there. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Abe. I'm the pastor for the Wicker Park campus for Church of the Beloved. Shout out to Wicker Park. I'm so glad that you decided to join us today and to not neglect gathering together, even though it's virtually, as we consider how we can encourage one another with the gospel or, or the good news of Jesus Christ. Today we want to continue our sermon series on this letter to the Colossians, this letter from Paul to the church in Colossae. Now, I know everyone knows this already. I just need to say it out loud. This is totally a crazy, crazy time in our lives. Uh, one thing that I am uh, astonished by, I've noticed, is that in this age of COVID, there seems to be a new language popping up. You know, one I heard recently is the Corona apocalypse. Uh, Gen C for the new generation of young people growing up. Sip and sip for shelter in place and sip some wine. Well, actually, the last one, I think I made it up. I, have, I haven't seen it somewhere, but I just figured it would be a really good title for your next virtual happy hour. But the truth is that for most, if not all, of us joining right now today, this time is the biggest societal shift that, that we've experienced. You know, from the language we speak to the way we greet, you know, should I do a elbow bump or just at least be able to wave from afar, you know, from the way we work to the way we eat, Depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation or thinking, these, these are becoming the norm. They're becoming more and more commonplace in our lives today. So the stress of being forced to isolate instead of being able to choose to isolate is causing severe anxiety. So it's very understandable that many during this time are, are looking for a sense of normalcy just to define a new normal it's so important, and yet it seems so hard to do because you feel like everything is totally out of control. You know, last week, Pastor James, he's our teaching pastor here at Church of the Beloved, he, he uh, started the sermon series on Colossians by looking at Paul's prayer to the believers in Colossians previously on COTB's live stream. Uh, he shared that the Apostle Paul was starting this letter off with a prayer of thanksgiving. You know, Paul's prayer of thanksgiving was for those he had never met before. But he was able to pray it because he had heard of the fullness of their faithfulness. And Paul had, had heard of their lives lived fully for God's glory, for God's pleasure. And Pastor James, he challenged us last week to engage in prayer lives that similarly expressed Paul's thankfulness for God's mercy. Prayer is based on the understanding that this Jesus we proclaim to be the Son of God is the fullness of God. You see, living lives full of faithfulness and lives love for God's creation, living lives for God's glory, it rests on a hope in the one who is the fullness of God. Today I want to take a moment to look at the one who is the fullness of God. Look at Jesus Christ. And I want to look at it and consider uh, from the passage that was read today what this description of our Savior means to us today, especially during the age of COVID-19. So we're going to do that by spending the next about 25 minutes diving into the scripture passage, passage that was read today. So let's dive into it, starting with verse 15. And verse 15 starts with the passage, He is the image of the invisible God. I remember when Harry Potter World first opened up in Florida. 
I was so excited. I'm a fan of Harry Potter. I was so excited about the opportunity to fully experience the world that I had at, up to that point only really read about in books and, and saw movies. The, from the Sorcerer's Stone to the Cursed Child, you know. When I went there with my wife, Suzette, and we experienced it all, the, the heat from the breath of the dragon on top of Gringotts Bank uh, on, in Diagon Alley, and the joy of getting my elder wand or being chosen by my elder wand in Ollivanders, it, it was amazing. I was goofy. I was giddy with excitement. I was transported from my reality to, to Harry Potter's reality. And what had only been images in my imagination could suddenly be seen and experienced. The, the images of the book I had read suddenly were, were alive before me. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The Father in heaven who is beyond our ability to visually perceive except through the reality of himself through in his Son. Jesus came down to be among us. He went from the pages of the Bible to the people in Israel. He, he came down from the heavens to heal and he lived and he ate. He laughed and he cried and he, and he worked among us. So God made himself known to each and every one of us through his son. So when Paul writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, it's not simply an untouchable picture behind a glass, but rather that he, Jesus, is the fullness of God made real in the person of Jesus. So when I watch Jesus in action, I see God in action. When I hear the teachings of the Son, I hear the teachings of the Father. The author of Hebrews, he said something very similar in the first half of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He said, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You see, Jesus is so much more than just mere words on a page. He is he was and he is alive. He lived among us and he lives within us through his spirit. He is God. He is the fullness of God. So knowing Jesus lets us know God. Going back to verse 15, the second half of it says, the firstborn of all creation. And I, I want to take a moment to clarify a little bit. The term firstborn, it should not be misunderstood because some will incorrectly believe that by calling Jesus the firstborn, it, it negates or cancels out Jesus' deity. So that if Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, that how could he be God? How could Jesus be divine? It's an example of where the context of the original or intended readers really becomes essential. Because you see, the term firstborn had a meaning or connotation in Paul's day. The firstborn was understood to be the primary inheritor of a family's wealth, not just the first or only the first to be born. The Bible presents examples of the not firstborn being recognized as the firstborn or, or the holder of a family's birthright. For example, you have Isaac instead of Abraham's firstborn, Ishmael. You have Jacob instead of Isaac's firstborn, Esau. You have Joseph instead of Jacob's firstborn born Reuben. All of these not firstborn becoming and being recognized as the inheritor or the firstborn holder of the family birthright. So Paul's proclamation that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation is this, is that Jesus is the inheritor of all creation, of everything, of all of this, all of us. 
Let's continue on to verse 16. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So here, Jesus is not just the inheritor of all creation. He is the creator of all creation. He is, he's the one who made it all, all of it, the heavens and the earth, the spiritual and the physical, humanity, nature, plants, animals, every cell, every molecule, and every virus. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it reads that God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. It was done. He made it all, all of it. But something happened a few thousand years ago in the Garden of Eden. We call it the fall. But this is where there's a separation between God and humanity that results in the good and perfect creation no longer creating good and perfect fruit. John Calvin, a scholar and theologian from way back in the day, wrote about the fall this way. He said, Therefore, we may know that whatsoever unwholesome things may be produced are not natural fruits of the earth, but are corruptions which originate from sin. Am I saying that viruses and bacteria existed at the time of creation? That, that Jesus, the inheritor and creator of all things, that, that he created these things? I think so. But here's the thing. God's good creation has become something no longer good because of our separation from God. Consider, water is a good thing. It's good to drink, but Noah's flood, not so much. It was a result of sin. Genesis chapter 3, it points out that we are going to live a life of pain and suffering, of thorns and thistles that are commonplace in this world now. Kevin DeYoung, he's a pastor in North Carolina. He wrote about what I'm alluding to, the coronavirus specifically. He said, the coronavirus is a natural evil under God's providential control to be sure but whose existence is the result of original sin. The root of all human pain and suffering in the world is the rebellion of our first parents, a rebellion that Christ conquered on the cross and will one day wipe away along with all its sad and sinister effects. Verse 17, continuing on in this passage, it speaks to God's providential control. It says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ, the inheritor and creator of all things, being the fullness of God, existing before everything with God because he is God. He is the source of everything. Everything was created by Jesus. Everything was created through Jesus. Everything was created for Jesus. Everything is being held together by Jesus. Now, the weight and the heft of that concept, I will admit, was not as uh, impactful to me as Paul had probably originally intended when he first wrote it initially. And I'm guessing that there are some here listening that uh, the weight and the heft of this concept may not be quite as evident for you. So I'm going to ask uh, you to allow me, you kind of don't have a choice, but I'm going to ask you to allow me to, to paint a little bit of a fuller picture, to give you a little context so you can see what Paul is trying to get at. He says, see, you got to understand this letter was originally written for women and men who were living in a time of Roman dominance. So, so some of these folks were probably Roman citizens, members of the most powerful people group of the time. 
And the Colossians are also probably aware of the story of this Jew, you know, somebody that was not really well-respected to Jewish people who was brutally crucified, killed, like a common criminal, like a terrorist. And Paul is saying that it isn't Rome. It isn't the virtues that are being taught by the philosophers, but rather it was this guy, this Jew who was crucified. This is the one who is keeping everything together. Paul is proclaiming that without Jesus at the center of it all, nothing in this world will make sense. That's mind-boggling. Not the people in power, not the learned, not the intelligentsia. It's a crucified man who bled and died for my sake. That's keeping everything in this world, everything in this universe spinning and together. Now, moving on to verse 18, it says this. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything he might be preeminent. Verse 18, it points to the main idea that is the focus of today's message. And it comes at the very end of the verse. It says that in everything he, Jesus, might be preeminent. I like the New International Version uh, of the Bible. Their translation of the original Greek is so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So the main idea that I want you to take away today is pretty simple. It's this. Jesus is supreme. And now, understand, Jesus' supremacy isn't like the whole hype beast, fashion, driven by scarcity kind of supreme. No, Jesus' supremacy is because he is preeminent in everything. Everything was created by Jesus. Everything was created through Jesus. Everything is created for Jesus, and everything is being held together by Jesus. His, his preeminence, his, his supremacy is from before the beginning of time, and it's going to be after the end of time. And this is what Paul is pointing to in verses 15 to 17. He's pointing out that Jesus is supreme over all of creation, that this world that we live in now with all its beauty and all its pain, all its isolation, Jesus is supreme. He is the one holding it together. He is the one that will allow it all to make sense if we keep him at the center of it all. In spite of feeling all out of control, in spite of a desire to create a sense of normalcy and at times failing to do that, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is in control. In verse 18, Paul pivots a bit. See, the structure of uh, verses 18 and 20, it echoes the first half of this passage, verse uh, 15 to 17. It's, It's pivoting in that it's showing the reader that Jesus is also supreme over all that is to come not just what is here already. He's going to be, he is supreme over the new creation. He is supreme over the upside-down kingdom, the the final kingdom of God that is so antithetical, so opposite of what the world thinks it should be that we call it an upside-down kingdom. Let me give you examples of these echoes. In verse 18, we see the term firstborn again, the firstborn from the dead. And readers of the Bible know that that Jesus wasn't necessarily the first one to be raised from the dead. You see in 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, Elisha raises the Shunammite woman's son 
There are stories in the New Testament where Jesus raises a few other folks, three other folks from the dead, including Lazarus. But the difference here is that those folks were raised from the dead to die again. Jesus is the firstborn or the inheritor of all those who will be raised from the dead never to die again. Firstborn of the dead to live with those who are raised from the dead to live with him in eternity in the presence of our Father in heaven. The other echo that you see is in verse 15 where where Paul writes that Jesus is the image of God. In verse 19, Paul completes this imagery by proclaiming that Jesus is fully God. Specifically in verse 19, Paul writes, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God's full nature is witnessed in the reality of Jesus. Verse 20 echoes the universality of Jesus' supremacy that we see in verse 16. Verse 16 tells us that Jesus, uh, just as all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus and by Jesus, verse 20 reads this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, it's through Jesus that the old will be made new. It's through him that the redeemed will be reconciled. Jesus is supreme. So my hope and my aim today was pretty straightforward. It was to simply present to you the one whom Paul proclaims to be the fullness of God. And I, and I wanted to show you the Jesus that Paul was preaching about and that we at the Church of the Beloved believe in. Jesus is the image of God, and he is fully God. Jesus is supreme over all creation, and he is supreme over all of the coming new creation. Jesus is universally and inexplicably in total control yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he holds everything together. So, so what does that mean for us now, today? What do I do with this understanding of Jesus' supremacy? And I want to leave you with a few thoughts that I came across as I was preparing for today and that I hope will help you understand how to actually apply this reality. And the first one is in verse 18. We've turned there. It says, he's the head of the body, the church. And I have to tell you that I, I do believe that Paul is being very intentional here. He's intentionally writing of a clear parallel between Jesus' supremacy over the first creation and his supremacy over the new creation. And he's writing it intentionally of this parallel with this understanding that it's the church, it's the church through which the world will see the supremacy of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus as the head of the church or the body of believers will will show the world that, that he is supreme over all over all of the new creation. The new creation that is already here, but not yet complete. The starting point of God's new creation is the body of Christ, the church, the church of the beloved. And the role of the church in Jesus' plan of supremacy is to use the church to restore and to renew. You see, my first challenge is this, to all of you who are watching and listening today, is to be this church 
church, to be the church that restores and renews so that the supremacy of Jesus might be evidenced by the church. I honestly don't know what that will look like for each and every one of you, but I know this, it will look like something. It could be making meals and having them delivered to the homeless who are so suffering during this time. It could be making or delivering mass to those who are working so hard to fight against this virus. It could be reaching out and connecting to those within your own campus that are, are suffering through this time of isolation. I mean, two opportunities were recently identified. Uh, Pastor Brian from the downtown campus recently sent out a message saying that uh, the second ward is looking for people who are willing to just reach out to those who are elderly and alone to just check in on them. Uh, there's an opportunity with Pastor Chris's wife working um, at an organization that is in desperate need of technology to help those who are isolated and unable to, to connect. You see, Jesus is the head of the body of believers. Jesus is the head of the church of the beloved. So Jesus is calling the church to, the be, to be the evidence of, of his supremacy by restoring and renewing those who are within the church and for those who are outside the church so that his supremacy can be witnessed. The second thought that came to me is, is based on verse 20. The second, last half of it, it says, Jesus making peace by the blood of his cross. See, the template for justice and redemption that was created by God included the ability to have blood as a sacrificial offering. The death or the blood of another can redeem another from punishment. You see in Exodus chapter 12, the sacrificed animal's blood being smeared on door frames in Egypt. And it, this would indicate that uh, the judgment of God could be passed over this house because a substitute had already died. You see, the sacrifice of Christ's life on the cross, his blood poured out for us, something we memorialized just a few weeks ago on Good Friday. That sacrifice reconciled us to our Father in heaven. Jesus has made peace between God and his chosen. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12, it says that Jesus has qualified us through that sacrifice to enter into the kingdom of his beloved son. See, we have redemption in Jesus. We have forgiveness of our sins in Jesus. And to claim this, one has to understand and cling to and proclaim the promise of the gospel, that God so loved the world that whoever believes in Jesus as the son of God shall have eternal life with him. So my second point, is really for anyone that has not made this proclamation of faith yet. Jesus, Jesus is offering peace between you and your Father in heaven. You may not even realize that you need this gift, but doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that you do. So for you, would you consider making that proclamation of faith today? And, and if you have, amazing. If, but if you have still questions about it, well, either way, we'd love you to tell us. You can go ahead and text us, COTB at 97000. And we'll, we'd love to hear your story. I want to end with one last thought. The big idea of today's passage is really, really simple. Jesus is supreme. But the implications of this 
is far-reaching. You see, understand the supremacy of Christ is not dependent upon me. He is supreme. He's not supreme because of me. He's not supreme for me. Ultimately, actually, his supremacy is, if anything, in spite of me. But Jesus, he wants his supremacy to impact me. I love Paul's imagery of having Jesus be the head of the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thought because it points to an organic relationship, to a symbiosis between the Father that he intends between his Son and his beloved. There's an intentional relationship between humanity and God that does not exist between God and any of his other creations. So the question is, will I allow Jesus, who is supreme over all things, in whom all things are being held together, will I allow the supremacy of Christ to be evidenced in my life? Or will I fight against him? Will I seek to love him with all my heart and with all my soul, with all my mind and with all my strength? Or or will I continue to ignore him? Will I spend my time focused on knowing him more through scripture, through worship, through virtual fellowship? Or will I continue to spend time away from him? It's It's a crazy time. It's the corona apocalypse. But this is, not, this is not outside God's plan. It's not outside Jesus' control. See, Jesus is supreme, and I promise you, he is holding it all together. So the question for you is this. Will you allow him to hold you together as well? Will you allow him to be central in your life now? Will you pray with me?